Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am going to do John chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Let me give you some context. In John chapter 6, we had Jesus feeding the 5,000. He had just returned from Jerusalem where he had healed. In John chapter 5, he had healed a paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida. The Jews tried to kill him. He identified himself with the Father so much that the Jews got upset with him, and Jesus headed back to Galilee, and he did a lot of stuff up there. But the, the main thing that, that John records of what he did in Galilee was, in John 6, was the feeding of the 5,000. And then the disciples stumbled at the hard words of Jesus when he said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so then he proceeds with his Galilean ministry, and John skips the remainder of his Galilean ministry before we get to chapter 7. Here's what he skips. Well, actually, he doesn't skip this first part. Well, he, he does skip it. He, he, it's not mentioned. The parallel uh, Gospels do mention it when the Pharisees came up from Jerusalem and complained about Jesus' disciples not eating or eating with unwashed hands, not cleaning their hands before they washed. John skips that. The healing of the Syrophoenician woman, John skips. He skips the feeding of the 4,000. He skips the Pharisees ask for, asking for a sign in Maganan. They, John skips the healing of a blind man in Bethsaida. John skips the events at Caesarea Philippi where Jesus confesses that Jesus is the... Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because Peter didn't want Jesus to go to Jerusalem to get crucified. Then we have the Mount of Transfiguration. John skips that. Then we have the shekel found in the fish mouth, in the fish's mouth, so the disciples could pay the temple tax. John skips that. We have the parable of the unmerciful servant. John skips that also. And then Jesus' famous discourse on the cost of discipleship. John skips that. So you see, a lot of stuff is going by now before we get to John 7. So we're now at the very end of Jesus' Galilean ministry, and he's getting ready to take up his later. Judean ministry, but he hasn't quite done it yet. That'll come uh, in John chapter 7, 11. We'll go from John 7, 11 through 52, when Jesus will go down to the Feast of Tabernacles at the beginning of his later Judean ministry. So we're setting the stage now for Jesus' later Judean ministry. His Galilean ministry is basically over, and then he has a little run-in with his brothers in verses 1 through 10, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Jesus is advised to reveal himself in Jerusalem by his unbelieving brothers. There are no parallel passages, so we'll start with verse 1. John 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. Now, the after this refers to an indefinite time. We don't know exactly when this was. Let me just make a point here, too, is that the harmonists, the Bible scholars, have a good deal of difficulty pinning down exactly when Jesus went to Jerusalem from Galilee, how many trips to Jerusalem he took. I'm not going to get into that. It really doesn't matter too much. I'm going to get a, we have a general idea. We can narrow this indefinite time down some, because in John 5, 1, John says this, After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John 6, 1, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee. And then in John 6, 4, John says, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. And then John 7, 2 refers to the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the next verse in this chapter, which is about six months later. So basically, all that stuff I just read to you that Jesus did, that John didn't recall, probably took place in about six months. From the Passover that was mentioned in John 6, 4, 
in the incident of the feeding of the 5,000 and the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus is getting ready to go down to in the middle of here in John 7, about six months. So we're getting near the end of the Galilean ministry, the beginning of the later Judean ministry. So that's basically where we are. So verse 1 again, After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. Now why were the Jews trying to kill him? You recall in John chapter 2, at the very beginning of his ministry, he went down there on a Passover and turned over the money changers' tables and drove the sellers of sacrificial animals out of the temple and caused a big uproar down there. They weren't happy about that. Then later, when Jesus went down to a, an unnamed feast in John chapter 5, possibly the Passover feast, he goes down there and he identifies himself with the Father. The Father does miracles, so does Jesus. The Father judges, Jesus judges also. The Father resurrects and gives life, Jesus does also. The Father does whatever he wills, and Jesus does whatever the Father wills. So he did that and got them all upset, and he healed that invalid at the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, and the Jews didn't like it. And so it says explicitly somewhere in John 5 that they were trying to kill him. John 5, verse 18, this is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, oh, I forgot to mention that, he was breaking the Sabbath. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So that's why Jesus did not want to travel in Judea. He was not ready to get killed yet. He had not finished training his disciples. His, ministry, his time had not come. His ministry in Galilee was not finished. We go to verse 2 in John 7, and we'll read verses 2 through 5. The Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, so his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. The, verse Two, the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. The English Standard Version calls that the Feast of Booths because what the Jews did during this festival, it was in September or so, somewhere in the fall, is they would build booths and live in them in the outdoors for a while, kind of like camping out. It, the purpose was to celebrate the completion of the harvest, and that's why sometimes it's, it's, it's called a harvest festival. Uh, it was to commemorate God's goodness during the desert wanderings after after the exodus, when, of course, the Israelites had to live in the desert, not in temporary shelters, but in booths and tabernacles, if you will. So this is what the celebration was supposed to symbolize. Now, his brothers are complaining to him, you need to quit being secret. You need to go down there and proclaim yourself as, as the Messiah. Well, who are these brothers? Well, here's some options. NIV Study Bible on Luke 8:19 gives these options. They could have been the sons of Joseph by a previous marriage. In other words, Jesus' half-brothers. They could have been the sons of Joseph and Mary after Mary conceived Jesus. Of course, that means that Mary could not have been a perpetual virgin, and Catholics don't like that because they believe, unfortunately, in the perpetual virginity of Mary. So they could have been Jesus' younger half-brothers. Half-brothers because Joseph was their father, but Joseph was not Jesus' father. They could have been Jesus' cousins, and this is what Catholics say in order to to protect their sacred doctrine of Mary's perpetual virginity. I, I, I remember in China, Chinese people all the time call their cousins brothers, and it would confuse the heck out of me. and say, what do you mean you're five brothers? I thought there was a one-child policy in China. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I mean cousins. They're speaking English, and they 
and then they call and they use the English word for brothers. It's just in their mindset. That happened at least a thousand times while I was over there. So somewhere in the Eastern mind, there's an idea that cousins are also brothers. So maybe the Catholics might be right. I don't believe for a millisecond that they are. But anyway, we won't get into that. The point is, is his unbelieving brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea. So your disciples can see your works that you're doing. What disciples were they referring to? Well, if you recall, Jesus had made a lot of disciples in John chapter 2 when he had gone down at the very first of his, of his ministry, when he went down to the Passover feast. John chapter 2, verse 23. While he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. So Jesus was openly doing signs earlier before he got out of Dodge, got out of Jerusalem, and went back to Galilee before the people could make him a Messiah and get him killed. So that's the disciples that the brothers are probably referring to right there. Now, they say, look, Jesus, no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition, which Jesus was not doing. The disciples are carnal-minded. They want their brother to be a big-shot messiah, a political messiah riding on a white horse, slaying the Romans, setting up an earthly kingdom with all kinds of glitter and gold and palaces and power and and positions and authority, of which, of course, they expected to participate in. They were getting anxious for the good times to roll in. Jesus was not seeking public recognition. I remember I was in China and a professor told me he was going. To, a Chinese professor told me he was going to make me famous in China because I had published a book. And I thought to myself. In fact, I said openly to this professor, I said, "Why would I want to be famous in China?" And then I said to myself, "I'm doing everything I can not to get caught by the Chinese authorities. I want to be totally. I don't want anybody to know I'm over here, especially the Chinese government. He, you are wanting me to be famous in China." And that's for pragmatic reasons, but even for psychological reasons. I had a student one time who found out that Michael Jordan was staying in a hotel in Charlotte, North Carolina. And my student actually went up there and rented a room and waited until till Jordan came out of the room so he could take his picture. And he said uh, he was going to go ask him for a autograph. And I don't know if he actually did this or was planning to do it. I don't remember. But I told him, I said, you are crazy. I said, have you ever thought how much disrespect you're showing to Michael Jordan to do that to him? He's in his private room. He's trying to live his life. And you are interfering with his with his privacy. And my student says, I don't care. I don't care. I want an autograph. So famous people have to deal with paparazzi, both official and unofficial. And Jesus, if he was going to be public, he would have to deal with the adoring crowds who did not understand his spiritual ministry, his spiritual message, and who were going to start a premature political revolution that was going to get everybody killed in a bloody revolt against the Romans. So the brothers didn't know what in the Gehenna they were talking about when they told Jesus to go down there and reveal himself publicly. The brothers continue in verse 4, If you do these things, show yourselves to the world. If you do these miracles, in other, in other words, these works. If, um, that sounds like the brothers perhaps did not believe that Jesus' works were very real. Nobody else complained about them. The Pharisees never complained. I get the feeling that should be translated since, but I know from studying a little bit of Greek that you can't translate if as since, although many times you would like to. And I haven't examined the Greek on this particular passage, but I, th I think that what it, it means, what it indicates is that the disciples were really not completely certain that these miracles were messianic miracles. They were miracles, all right. Messianic enough for yours truly. I would think that would be messianic. But you know, the Jews had high standards for miracles. Even the feeding of the 5,000 
in the wilderness. That wasn't a messianic miracle because it has to be manna. It has to be big like Moses' miracle. Feed the feed the people for 40 years, not just for one day. Feed the whole nation. How many millions was it? I forgot now, two million. Feed the whole nation, not just 5,000. So anyway, I think the brothers were unbelieving in the works and they were unbelieving in his ministry. They didn't understand the spiritual import of what Jesus was doing. Now, I do need to point out that this is a general statement about his brothers not believing. There are some brothers that actually believe, as John Gill points out. Jude, for example, was one of the 12 apostles. And the 12 apostles have already been picked by now, and Jude was one of them, and Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. So, And at any rate, even if not... Even if most of his brothers didn't believe now, we know that most of them eventually believed in Jesus. Let me quote to you a, a verse in Acts that's not noticed too often. Acts 1.14, this is as they were in the upper room waiting for the descent of the Holy Spirit at the first Pentecost. All these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So the brothers were there waiting for the falling of the Holy Spirit. They would not have been there unless they had believed in Jesus. So the good news is Jesus' family finally saw the light, and they accepted Jesus as the king of the world, and they accepted Jesus' kingdom. Now, when the, it says the brothers did not believe in Jesus, probably what they meant, what they meant was is they didn't believe, or what John means, is that the brothers didn't believe in the true spiritual sense. This is Adam Clark's idea. I think he's right. They must have believed in, in him as a carnal Messiah because they're telling him to go down to Jerusalem and reveal himself as a, as a Messiah. So they believed in a carnal political Messiah. They saw all the miracles like everything, everything else he did. So maybe they're not doubting the miracles after all. Maybe they believe the miracles enough to believe that Jesus could be the Messiah. So what I said previously about the doubt, if you do these things showing doubt about these miracles, that might not be true. They, they Obviously, they believed in him enough, or it appears that they believed in him enough to go down there that he would reveal himself. Now, let's talk about how much the, 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 the brothers believed in Jesus. Already, I've told you, it's not really clear. It sounds like they sort of believe in him, but then they don't believe in his miracles. Or What, what did they think about Jesus, and why were they trying to send him down there to Jesus? The brothers weren't stupid. They must have known that the Jews were trying to kill Jesus when Jesus went down there. So why were they saying, telling Jesus to go down there and to the teeth of his opposition? Well, here's some options as to what the brothers thought. Option number one, they hoped Jesus might be killed when he went down there. I don't believe that. I don't believe they wanted to kill his brother. Option number two, they didn't care whether Jesus might be killed or not. He might have gotten killed. They didn't hope for it, but they didn't care if it happened. John Gill denies that option. Third option, this is my option. They hoped Jesus would establish a political kingdom in Jerusalem. Adam Clark says this would benefit them greatly, and so that's what, what their motive was. So their lack of belief is in Jesus' spiritual kingdom, but they had plenty of belief in a carnal messianic kingdom, and they were looking to get benefited by that kingdom. Ooh, we're his brothers. We're the Messiah's brothers. We're going to get a big plush throne somewhere, a big nice castle. It could be that the brothers had this desire from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, but now we're near, near the end of the Galilean ministry, and we'll see that many disciples in Galilee were dropping off. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown makes this point. John 6, verse 66, From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. That's when Jesus started getting real with them, talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. This was after the feeding of the 5,000 back in Capernaum, and 
He gave them that little discourse, and they didn't like it. A lot of his disciples says, I'm out of here. I'm not going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. That's, that's too serious. That demands too much commitment from me. And so the brothers could see that the, the ministry was getting less popular, and they were saying, oh, what's going to happen to our chance to be big shots in the Messianic kingdom? So they might have figured, well, he might be risking death going down there to Jerusalem, but since he's going to be a political messiah, he can take care of the Jews down there. Once he's established himself as messiah and he wins over the Jewish authorities, they will, they will proclaim him messiah. They won't try to kill him anymore, and it, we'll all live happily ever after, and we'll be big shots in the carnal messianic kingdom. We go to verses 6 through 9 in John 7. Jesus told them, the brothers, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. What he's saying is, my time, well, there's options as to what he means by my time has not yet arrived. It could mean his death. It could mean his resurrection and glorification. It could be him showing himself to the world by going down to the feast. Or it just could be his, the time is not right for him to go up to the feast yet. It doesn't really matter what it means. But the point is, he's, Jesus is refusing his brother's request and saying, hey, I'm not going to go down there. And when he says, your time is always in hand, you see, he's, he's pointing out their carnal rashness, their impetuosity. Oh, yeah, you want to go down there. You don't want to think about what my ministry really is about. And then he points out the reason why he's not going there. In verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it that its deeds are evil. In other words, he's telling his unbelieving brothers that they're not in the kingdom, they're in the world, and since they're of the world, the world's not going to hate them because the world doesn't hate its own. But I'm not in the world, I'm in the kingdom, and what do I do when I'm in the kingdom? I testify that its deeds are evil. Jesus constantly was pointing out the sin of the people. Are you listening, wussy puss, sinner-friendly, seeker-friendly type evangelical churches? who are so scared to point out that we are sinners, that we're under the wrath of God, that we're enemies of God. You have to go into a Presbyterian or Reformed Baptist church these days to hear that kind of stuff. That, that's their strength. They have a lot of nonsense, but there's a lot of, that's one of their strengths, these Reformed and Presbyterian and Reformed Baptist churches. They do testify that we are sinners and our deeds are evil. And Jesus did it all the time. We have a good example for that. Verse 8 in John 7, Jesus continues talking to his brothers. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival yet because my time has not yet fully come. Now Jesus, as we'll see in the next audio, verse 14, he went, well, the festival was half over and he secretly went down there where people wouldn't see him in the crowds. So Jesus says, I'm not going to go down there as a pilgrim with you guys, letting everybody follow us and, and Say, oh, there's Jesus and his brothers. Let's proclaim him Messiah. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go down there secretly, and I'm going to pop up when nobody's expecting me. The word yet is not in a lot of manuscripts, people say. And there's an ancient antichrist named Porphyry who you might have heard of. He says that Jesus was guilty of an untruth there because he did go up to the festival later. If you put the yet in there, then there's no problem. I'm not going up to the festival yet. I'm going later. But if you leave it out, it reads like this. I'm not going up to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. And it makes it sound like Jesus was inconstant or you know, he was actually lying to his brothers because he said he wasn't going to the festival and yet he did go. That just shows the absurd lengths to which Antichrist will go when they attack Jesus. That's nonsense. Even if you leave it out, it's understood he's not going to the festival yet. He's not lying to his brothers. As I said, he eventually went down, as we read in John 7:14, which says this, 
When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple complex and began to teach. When Jesus says that he testifies that their deeds are evil, that the world's deeds are evil, John Gill has this pithy remark, quote, Severely did he inveigh against the pride, covetousness, hypocrisy, and uncleanness of the scribes and Pharisees. In other words, he let them have it. John 7, verse 10. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also, he, Jesus, also went up, not openly, but secretly. So he rejected his brother's advice. He went down there secretly. And in our next audio, we're going to hear him stand up. This is when he says, rivers of living water and all this. And he does a lot of public ministry, and he's hiding from the authorities and the crowd saying, who is this guy? Is he really the Messiah? Is he not the Messiah? And we begin Jesus' last Judean ministry right before he gets crucified. We'll take that up in the next audio. I hope you listened to that one, and I hope you enjoyed this one.